everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity podcast and this episode is our first debrief episode not only of season six but also of 2023. As a reminder in these episodes we simply debrief on our previous five episodes in the season. We originally said that season six was going to be just four episodes and then a debrief but you know what we had a flood of interest in terms of people wanting to be on the show. We had too many amazing people that we wanted to an interview so therefore we are interviewing five people and this debrief is on those five people that we've interviewed and they are Cindy. They are Dr. Penny Hay from the House of Imagination in the United Kingdom, Andrea Mango, our STEAM educator, Principal L, who is a, funny enough, principal from Philadelphia, Adrian Gordon, who is a music educator from North Carolina, and Samantha Olshin, who is a professor and colleague of Matt's at the University of Connecticut. All right. So Cindy, take us away. What was your first takeaway from those five interviews? So I want to kick off with Penny Hayes, because when she talked about following your fascination, I just love that phrase. And it reminds me of something uh, I read at one point, probably on social media, that said, your heart belongs where your mind wanders. And thinking about when you are wandering or wondering, where does your mind go? And thinking about your fascination is sort of a higher level of that, like thinking about what you're fascinated by. And Matt, are you fascinated by anything that you don't really spend a lot of time with? Absolutely. I do have a fascination. And I would say that my fascination is centers around biology, particularly human cells. I'm not a, an expert in it, but I think about our DNA sequences and, and you know, um, all of the different cells in our body that have got a whole bunch of different tasks. And I'm constantly fascinated about how much things that they have to do and and how important they are in our body. Um, to the extent that I sometimes wonder I might even, if I was to live again, I might even pursue a career related um, to uh, molecular biology of some sort. Do you have a fascination? You know, I was thinking a lot about this. I have a fascination with relationships and love. So I always say if this creativity stuff doesn't work out for me, that I would like to be a matchmaker because I'd like to see like what kinds of people connect with one another what are the most important things you have in relationships? Um, how do you make relationships work? At what point do you let go of a relationship that's not working? So I'm fascinated by the psychology of relationships. So if, you know, again, if this creativity stuff doesn't work out and you go into molecular biology, I will go into matchmaking. Okay, so Matt, what's your first key insight? Well, my first key insight was from my colleague, Samantha Olshin. And it's weird because, you know, I see Samantha every day and we, we uh, I think, are, are good colleagues and, and have a, a friendship 
um, outside of work as well. But I've never had the opportunity to just have the type of discussion that we had with her. And there were so many things that she shared on the show that I found really fascinating. But the one simple thing that I took away, in fact, I took a few different things away. But one of the, the things that I took away was the idea of find a mentor or be a mentor. And I don't think we've ever spoken about that on the show. I certainly enjoy mentoring. There's a different relationship with I think with being an advisor, being an instructor in the classroom, being a teacher, and then being a mentor. And there are certain students that I think I serve more as a mentor to, um, as opposed to the, the kind of previous roles that I just referenced. And then I know that I have benefited significantly from having mentors. And actually, when I haven't had mentors, I think that I've struggled at times. And I haven't always reflected on some of the people who actually are mentors to me because we haven't established a relationship per se, but they're my go-to people that I connect with when I've got questions related to my career. And they're also the go-to people that I think about when I'm facing some type of professional struggle. They're also the people whose advice that I continue to go forward with and implement. And so this idea of be a mentor or find a mentor is something that I think is very important to students, but then also to teachers as well. I love that, Matt. And I am a firm believer that we need great mentors in our life. In fact, I have next to me in my office, the Manifesto for Children that was written by E. Paul Torrance, who was known as the father of creativity and education. And one of his tenets is find a great teacher or mentor who will help you. And that is something I've always taken very seriously, both finding good mentors to help me and give give me advice, as well as being a good mentor to others, which is one of my favorite roles in life. I mean, I love being a mom, I love being a wife, but I love being a mentor to people who are thirsty and hungry for this information and how I can support them and help them on their journey, because I've had so many wonderful people help me on my journey. Yeah, and I'm not familiar with the literature on this, but the importance of mentor from a creativity perspective particularly around having someone who can champion your work or champion Mm -hmm. you through your career. And I think that's another role of a mentor that perhaps I neglected to say during that introduction. I also think it's not just about championing your work creatively, but also being able to give you critical feedback that you will take into account and that you can trust because you know they have your best interest in mind because they know they have your best interest in mind. So I think I had a great mentor. My greatest mentor was uh, Dr. Mary Murdoch, who died of breast cancer 13 years ago. But what she instilled in me was a sense of authenticity that I have taken through the rest of my career and that I honor every day. Yeah, and I actually, you've mentioned Dr. Mary Murdoch a few times on the show as, as being your mentor. And I'm just sitting here thinking that at some point, Cindy, we should do some type of tribute episode to her and her work. Because I know that she's she did so much and, and did so much for people, you know, around Buffalo State and also the field of creativity. So we should maybe look at doing a tribute episode of some sort. Oh, that future. would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Matt. So my second one is with Adrian Gordon, who was the music teacher. And I love music. Um, My children play instruments. I see so many benefits in music education. I'm such an advocate for music education. But one of the things I haven't spent too much time thinking about is how how much music education can help 
develop creativity. And I loved the example he gave where he provided a phrase and then all of a sudden you had to think about what instruments do you hear and what does the music sound like and what do you think you would hear as it went up and down? And, and I just thought it was such a creative exercise. So last night when I was having dinner with my children, I said, okay, I'm going to give you a phrase and you're going to tell me what instrument you hear and then tell me what you, what kind of music you would like to see as you read this phrase. And it was just so much fun to play with. And I've never thought about music in that way. And and, and I, I certainly can relate to that episode. And I'm not, I'm actually not that adverse in, in music and, and knowledgeable about music education. And I learned so much from talking to Adrian about his work and all of the amazing creative approaches he had to engage children across the grade, which meant from first grade all the way to high school in his music program. I certainly um, remember that and a whole bunch of different creative, imaginative approaches that he has that also cultivate creativity. So if you're a music educator right now, I highly recommend going and checking out Adrian Gordon's episode. And I think we can also add, if if you're not a music educator, if you're an educator outside of music, that that episode can really help you think about how to bring music into your classroom. Yeah, yeah. And and also, actually, you know, to, to build on that, you know, I think one of the a lot of Adrian's work centers, you know, as perhaps a lot of other um, music teachers do around putting together events for the community in when I was kind of reflecting on that aspect of the role of music, there's there's not lots of subjects where you can really bring all of the school community together. And I think about the the festive concerts that take place at my boys' school, and it obviously typically centers around music and it's dependent on the music teacher, but they're wonderful events. They're times where you see the entire school community coming together. And so whether it's music, whether it's through art, whether it's a film festival, I think, you know, Thinking about how you might engage students in projects that can build bridges with the community is another thing to think about that I think um, was part of our episode with Adrian Gordon as well. So, Matt, what's your second one? Well, my second one is from Andrea Mango, who is your colleague and friend, Cindy. And she said, again, a very simple thing. In fact, she didn't say it was it was a kind of a theme throughout her episode. And it was it centered around the idea of giving up power. And, you know, I, I, I really like the idea of giving up power. It obviously connects a little bit to ambiguity and, and making ourselves vulnerable. But I think the way Andrew was trying to apply it in her practice is, is looking at her school day and trying to identify where there are opportunities, not necessarily take control of the activity or take control of the experience or even take control of the environment and actually provide students with an opportunity to take ownership in that moment. Um, and that might be, how do you want to arrange the furniture? It might be here, I'm going to buy a collection of new chairs for the classroom. Which chairs do you think I should buy and why? And the way Andrea kind of communicated that in the show made it, dare I say, simple to implement. Yes. And I think a good little mantra for educators to think about how might I release some of the control because it creativity can be a bit chaotic and knowing when to say, I need to take control over this is an important piece. And I'm really glad that she brought that up because I don't think anyone's brought that up before. So can I tell you my third one? Yes. So my third one was, was Principal L, um, who I've listened to the episode several times now and just love the work that he has done. And the thing that really just strikes me to the core is the piece on failure. 
because, you know, he talked about how his middle school students were successful in working and competing with other middle schoolers and how they had won and how he said that wasn't good enough, that it's not good to be, you know, the winner. That's not where you build the resilience and how he brought it to the next level and took these middle schoolers to high school competitions. And I just think there is so much courage and risk-taking involved in that. And I have such a, a need to want my children and my students to succeed that it would take so much guts to be able to say, I'm going to let go of that because I, I think resilience is more important. And I do think resilience is more important. That's the thing. I I do believe that resilience and what he's done is important, but I think it takes an enormous amount of courage and bravery to be able to be willing to let go of this idea that they should succeed and I want them to build the resilience. And it was a wonderful way to talk a little bit about failure, but we, we were talking specifically about resilience in that, which I love so much. And then the idea of providing opportunities where students can fail in order to develop resilience. And it, it seems such a... Um, a strategic goal orientated aspect of his work. There's obviously mentoring and, and championing the students and supporting the students behind the scenes as they work their way through that process. And he spoke a lot about that in the episode. Um, but I totally agree. And, you know, I, I, I too often maybe um, bring it to soccer and soccer analogies. But, you know, I, my, my middle son has, has kind of been in a situation where he his team is primarily always winning and he's young and he gets used to it and he enjoys winning, but he's not going to win all of the time. And really what it comes down to is what are you going to do when you're in that tight game and you go one nil down? What are you going to do when you're three or four nil down? Are you going to continue playing or are you going to give up? And and that's the resilience factor. And I enrolled him in a, in a tournament a few weeks ago up in Boston primarily because I heard that they're going to get creamed and they did 15-0, 14-0. And I was, I said to him, I was so proud because he went on that field and continued to fight through every single minute. And he was upset and devastated, but he learned the feeling of losing. And more importantly, it helped him relate to the English national team and also the English Premier League team, because quite often we also lose as well. So there was a little bit of healing that we was able to do after the World Cup through that, through that experience as well. So what was your third one? My third one was also with Principal Al. And again, another kind of simple takeaway, but just listening to Principal Al and, and sharing his story where he had an opportunity to kind of move from his school, which, you know, had had was such a big part of his community. And he chose not to leave and he stayed. And, you know, he went on to, to be a principal and stay engaged within his local community. And I started to think a lot about this concept of being a leader in your community. And I shared that in the show. And the reason why I was thinking about being a leader in the community, a friend of the family was recently became probate judge. And I was listening to his father provide a speech at his swearing in ceremony. And he said he chose to be a leader of his community. I, I kind of connected those words to Principal Al's story because Principal Al clearly decided that he wanted to become a leader of his community. And maybe it connects to what we're talking about legacy a little bit. In the past, we spoke about the idea of legacy versus being good ancestors. But I think sometimes we kind of find ourselves falling into the trap about defining ourselves based on the impact we've had in the world or in our country and, you know, on social media. Did I have a million likes as opposed to 10 million likes? And maybe what we need to do is take a little bit of time on focusing on 
what is our impact within our local community? Because we can serve our local community and that local community might be our school, it might be our town, it might be our region. Um, And so I encourage teachers and educators um, who are listening to this show to really think, to kind of redefine yourself as you, you actually do have an opportunity to be a leader in your community. And so what are you going to do with that power? Matt, what a lovely observation, because I think, you know, as we, when we talked with Michael Hatch and Hansen about the, be a good ancestor, sometimes people think, well, I have to be a good ancestor for the world, but I really think it's about being a good ancestor for your family and for your community. And the impact we can have on our community is so big and so important. And I don't think we give enough credit to that and we give enough weight to that. And so I challenge those of you listening, how can you be more involved with your community to make your community better? Cindy, I think that's another goal where there are opportunities to participate on boards at the museums. There's opportunities to get involved in committees at your school, you know, establish events. You know, I, I, I take pride in the fact that, that I established the Connecticut Student Film Festival. And I think about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films that have been produced for that event and the 84 hour film challenge, which I created. And that's still ongoing. I think 15 years after I created it, I haven't been in contact with it now for about 10, 12 years. But it's still an ongoing challenge, which I, which I know brings so much joy to high school teachers and high school students that participate in that challenge. And I think it's, it's, that, it's those types of activities and outcomes that we can produce for the benefit of our community that sometimes perhaps don't go as praised or as noticed as they could do. But it's still about us having an impact in our community and taking pride in that as well. I love the taking pride. And I want to add one more thing. I think since the pandemic and everyone sort of being inside of their house for so long, I think we haven't gone back to where we were with our communities. And I noticed this the other day when I was in my children's school and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, I don't know any of these people. And I don't know any of them because I haven't been inside the school in a year and a half. So I think this is a really good time to really reach out to people in your community and go to events in your community. And I hope to see that more and more, but especially bringing your creativity forth with your community is so important right now. Well, Cindy, I think that is a great way to finish our show. So this wraps up our debrief for the first five episodes of season six. But Cindy, we've got some very special news to share. We do have some very special news to share, but do we want to share it now or do we want to wait? All I thought we could do is we could heighten anticipation. So we could say that we've got a very special guest coming on the show and we are pumped and excited, but we're not ready to share who it is yet. That's right. So you will have to wait. And while you're waiting, if you could go to your favorite podcast listening platform, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Audible or Podbean and write us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. And for the first five we receive, we've already done five of these in the beginning of the season, but for the first five we receive, we will send out a Feeling Creativity and Education podcast mug. And all you have to do is email us at questions at feelingcreativitypodcast.com with a picture of your review. My name is Dr. Matthew Werwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This episode was produced by Creativity and Education in partnership with WarwoodClassroom.com. 